0: Hi Brickies, I'm Dominic, the last one standing with a kink for cannibalism.
1: And I'm Kate, the resident phobia expert, who also hears voices.
0: And you're listening to Shit and Bricks,
1: a podcast where we talk shit about stuff that scares us.
0: Ripping a few laughs and survival tips along the way.
1: As always, please subscribe, rate and review us. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Shit and Bricks Podcast.
0: Like the morning after a night on the curries and cans, here it comes. So drop your ducks, pop a squat, and let's get into it.
1: Now I'm recording for real. I'm here, I promise. It's only taken me 15 minutes to sort my life out.
0: Hey, Con the Fruiterer, How are you?
1: I'm not a bad. You come <laughs> at a Con of the fruiter house. I'm, I'm getting you the food.
0: Shut up, your face. <laughs> Shut up, your face. <laughs>
1: what are you talking about?
0: Hi, Kate.
1: Hi, Dom.
0: Guess what? I'm you? back.
1: <laughs> you're back, and you're better than ever.
0: From outer space. And we I just took I one look bingo, at you, bingo,
1: bingo, bingo. and then I got upset all over the place. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we <We've> ruined it.
1: <laughs> we always ruin everything. This is why we can't have nice things.
0: How are you doing, Kate?
1: I'm really well, thank you. I have four more days left of children at skill mm-hmm. and then um, five days of adults at school, and then I'm going to go on holidays. Woo-hoo!
0: My goodness, all that free time. What are you going to do with all this free time, Kate?
1: Well, I am going to go and see Billy Joel on the weekend. I know oh that's not goodness. part of the free time, but <laughs> I don't know if I've even spoken to you, like you, yes, but the audience <laughs> about my love for Billy Joel.
0: No, no one has Uh, any idea. So please give us a quick, you know, 30 seconds.
1: (laughs) 30 second rundown. All you need to know is I have his signature tattooed on my right ass cheek. That's how much I love him. Full stop. I think that's all you need to know. And I'm going to see him at the MCG, the holy grail of of facilities. I'm so excited. How many
0: times have you seen Billy Joel perform live?
1: This will be the fourth time um which doesn't sound like many but I I mean the first two times was in Melbourne so he hasn't been to Australia a heck of a lot so Mm. I saw him twice in Melbourne uh then I flew to New York to see him at Madison Square Garden and now he's coming back to Melbourne which is great because it's a lot cheaper well no it's not it was the similar (laughs) price to fly to New York to see him than the tickets that I bought here in Melbourne so whatever (laughs) what are you gonna do
0: well, I'm going to be joining you on Saturday. Yes! That's what.
1: We're so excited. And we started recording this podcast podcast a little bit later because I needed Dom's advice and recommendation on a restaurant to book. So we've done that now. I feel better having booked.
0: Good. And we get to see the incomparable Tina Arena who's going to open, Tina. which is a bit of a gay legend, legend and icon. Uh, she doesn't know it, but sure. Yeah.
1: That's okay. She doesn't need to know it. She'll feel the love.
0: She'll feel it.
1: Toina Arena, What a dream.
0: I think they should actually rename Margaret Court Arena to Tina Arena Arena.
1: <laughs> I don't know how that hasn't been done already. And it has to be Tina Arena Arena. Yeah. It can't be just Tina Arena. It's Tina Arena Arena.
0: <laughs> oh, God, it would be so good. Yes,
1: I love it. Um, we're going to have the best time. It's going to be a blast and it's just going to be such fun and I cannot wait. And yeah, it's just going to be the best. But how are you feeling post trip, Dominic?
0: I am back in Melbourne, everybody. Hello, good day. You missed me. I know. Um, I did. It's great to be home. It was such a great, interesting trip. Uh, lots of reflection and soul searching and all that great stuff. And the wedding went off you know, went off without a hitch, except they did get hitched. So no unintentional hitching.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Only intentional hitching occurred on my trip. Exactly. Perfect. That's the best kind.
0: Good to be home. And I'm glad that I could bring some good weather, even though there was no good weather where I was. But
1: (laughs) We um, had summer on a weekend, so we've got to be happy. Yeah. You know. The whole summer lasted that weekend.
0: (laughs) And now it'll be cold again. And now it's over. (laughs) But, Kate, obviously, while I was away Mm -hmm. and had a lot of... I had some spare time in between my (laughs) midlife crisis (laughs) contemplation stuff.
1: (laughs) Perfect. I love that. There's always room for that. There's always time for that.
0: Exactly. I did do a little research on local tales and stories because you always hear and find out things once you're in a space, in a place, than just doing research online. So this week's episode, which you don't have any clue about. No, I don't. Is called The Mysteries of Ireland.
1: Ooh! Ireland Mysteries!
0: Yeah, and because... You know, obviously I have a bit of a habit of doing, you know, big stories, intricate stories over one, two, maybe three episodes. And Kate is obviously a bit on the opposite side.
1: Oh, I thought you were about to say spectrum, but also that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she does lots of short little sweet stories. So, Kate, I hope you don't mind, but because you're such a trend trendsetter, trend
1: I'm a strand (laughs) tedder. Come and get my tedders. Ping, ping, ping.
0: I thought I would take a leaf out of your book and do the same. So I'm going to do three little mini stories.
1: Oh! This week. I'm so excited. Yeah. Well, then that puts the challenge to me, where I'll do a uh, you know long format story next week.
0: Cool. A single story. If you feel up to it. Only if you feel up to it.
1: Yeah, I do. I feel very excited.
0: But quickly, some little housekeeping.
1: Housekeeping, ding, ding.
0: It is closely coming up to the end of year. Kate and I don't have any significant plans to take time off, so we should have regular programming. We may pre-record ahead of time so we can actually take a holiday holiday.
1: Maybe take a break, break, Yeah. yeah.
0: But you will still definitely hear from us. We do have an exciting special episode coming up in the works. Uh, we may even have a special guest joining for that episode. Yes. So cool. I don't want to spoil too much about that. But the usual, please go check out our socials for all the great, amazing content that Kate's been doing recently. Hurrah to you, Kate. It's so much but fun. But also,
1: Dom, you kill it. You're just yeah what a team
0: yeah we're doing a, a great job so go go interact yeah um, and there's also our Patreon of course just for a few dollars a month you can make sure Kate and I have lights to turn on and makeup for our pretty faces and mm-hmm. uh, someone to you know do massages And
1: yeah I yeah. like to have a feet rubs every now and then
0: exactly so I'm happy with that so keep keep checking us out there and sign up Um, And this week, we're going to feature um, Boopod Network's Spilling the Crime. Um, Spill it. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of them before, but they, we've featured them once before, but they are hilarious. And I believe they're in Portugal. I believe. I keep on forgetting where they're based.
1: Okay. I can look it up while you chat.
0: Yeah. Um but they're really funny and they do some like really big name feature stories and stuff that like you'd see a lot of their stuff on Netflix specials and things like that, but they always come at it from a totally different lens. Um, they always do extra research. Um, so stuff that you've never heard of before about these very famous stories you want to, you know, you want to, you may have seen it on Netflix. You might want to go tune into their, their podcast cause you'll find yeah. out even more.
1: And you are right. The page has taken me to Portugal. Yeah. So that's exciting. It is Humberto Melo and Jonas Gracha. Grancha.
0: Yeah. They're cool. And they're so cute. They're not they're oh God, easy they're on the, the eyes. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, I was just looking at their picky Sweet boys.
0: So anyway, here is their trailer. Boop be, boop, be boop. boop boop. Hey guys! And welcome to Spilling the Crime, a true crime podcast hosted by me, Umberto Mello, and me, Jonas Grancha. Join us in this big adventure where we will be talking about Grimes with a tipsy twist. How this crime happens, I want to know what the fuck is the unwrapped chocolates. Her name is Sh- Sh- Sharma Melngling. Magma Magmar? <laughs> Magmar Menangitus one. Where's the dick, Lorena? Where is the dick? Oh what is this? are those your enemies <laughs> are they after me too <laughs> Do you ever feel like a plastic bag <laughs> <laughs>
1: what the fuck? <laughs>
0: And then, he masturbated on the carpet Dangerous questions! Why? We did not agree with this <laughs> Carl said that... Don't copy... Compri- what? Don't copyright us! Don't copyright us, <laughs> yes, please don't block us So, grab your glass, cause the spilling is about to begin <laughs> 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 Alright, Kate Let's get down to business, shall we?
1: And defeat the Huns?
0: Oh my God, yeah, why not? Mulan me up, babe.
1: (laughs) Mulan me, please.
0: Oh, what was that funny saying actually? She's like, Desana
1: uh, on you, Desana Desana on on your your cow. cow. (laughs) How could you miss? He was three feet in front of you.
0: Whoa, (laughs) Bessie. Oh goodness, Eddie Murphy, icon, problematic but icon.
1: Sure, yeah, but you know. Okay. That's, that's that sums us up as well. I know, true. From problematic icons. Is <laughs> <laughs> that new merch for the week?
0: Yeah, let's put that on our tube stones. Ah. Ah. So, Kate, Hello. these are some of the maybe lesser-known mysteries, unsolved mysteries of Ireland. Yeah.
1: Are you sure?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Do you know what the Irish say. <laughs> it is important to be sure. To be sure.
0: <laughs> oh Lordy! Oh great! I've got some tales, by the way, from that trip, oh. which probably are not appropriate for a publication such as oh, ours. Oh, I
1: love it! I want to
0: hear. I'll tell you it, uh, Elton John. Okay.
1: Wait. <laughs> <laughs> are we? Are we going to Elton
0: John too or just oh Billy goodness. Joel? I told an Elton John story and that's why I went to Elton John.
1: Are we Are going to Elton John as well? Is this a surprise? No,
0: I have an R-rated story to tell of Elton John, Amazing. but we're not oh, going okay. to that. We're going...
1: Cool. <laughs> we're going to Billy Joel, but to... you tell me about Elton John at Billy Joel.
0: Yeah, at the Eric okay. Clapton... Um... <laughs> Tina Turner, right? Is she yes. going to be there? <laughs> And it's so funny, Perfect. there's people listening to this that probably don't know who <laughs> any of these people are. What I'm are talking
1: about? Yeah. That's all right. We enjoy our company. That's good. That's all.
0: <laughs> Billy Joel. Okay. Yeah. So, story number one.
1: It's not about Billy Joel. No. Okay. No. Just to be sure.
0: To be sure. To be sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Here we go. Story one. Okay. Okay. Aer Lingus Flight 712 crashed en route from Cork, where I was staying, Mm -hmm. Cork to London on the 24th of March 1968, killing all 61 passengers and crew. The aircraft, a Vickers Viscount 803 named St. Phelim, crashed into the sea off Tuscar Rock County, Wexford. Okay. Now, Lingus still uses this flight number for, this is like a added tidbit, which I didn't realize, and yeah. we've done a, f- a whole lot of plane crashes before, but you may not yeah. know this. But Lingus still uses this flight number for a daily flight from Cork to London Heathrow, contrary to airline convention of discontinuing a flight number following a crash.
1: Ooh, that is a good plane tidbit.
0: I did not know that they, they discontinued it, which, yeah. Is, you it's know like fantastic but
1: retiring a number of a football player who's been super special
0: sure I think yeah, it's right. a good honor to to yeah. you know it's such a terrible thing um now this current um, route is operated with an aircraft from the Airbus a320 family if you're a plane you know
1: a plane fan
0: aficionado mm-hmm now, the flight left Cork Airport at 10.32 hours for London. The flight proceeded normally until a call was heard with the po- uh, probable contents saying 12,000 feet descending, spinning rapidly.
1: Oh, spinning sounds bad.
0: Yeah, it's not a great... Not a great... <laughs> it's
1: not a good feature of a flight.
0: Is to Woo! <laughs> I've just put on the uh, (laughs) seatbelt sign, folks, because we're now descending in a very rapid (laughs) spinning motion.
1: In a rapid spin.
0: Yeah. Now, there was no further communications with the aircraft and London ATC informed Shannon ATC that they had no radio contact via the radio. Now, London ATC requested the Aer Lingus flight EI or EL 362... (laughs) (laughs) It was flying from Dublin to Bristol to search west um, of their current position to see whether they could see anything.
1: So they've gone out to see if they can see any planes just doing doughies in the air.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. Now, this search was at 500 feet, only 150 meters, in good visibility, and they saw nothing. At 11.25, a full alert was declared, and by 12.36, there was a report of wreckage sighted at position blah, 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 blah. You're not gonna get out your fucking compass, are you? Go searching.
1: No, I've left my compass in my other bag, so I bought pop- Lizzie Lizzie trust say trust- <laughs> <laughs> She's in the
0: <laughs> We've sent her off.
1: She's in the foyer, we've sent her off. She ran out of scotch fingers.
0: She only does coffee runs if she out. give her compass <laughs> coordinates. Oh <my> <laughs> She's a traditionalist. She can't help it. Oh. Lizzie. What a terror. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she does host her own, like, Brown Scouts or whatever uh, <laughs> class. Brown
1: Scouts! <laughs> brown Scouts! <laughs> yeah, just Scouts. There's no colour ones.
0: And girl what do they call Brown birds or something? What's a bird? <laughs> I don't know. But She's a dead like bird. Brown <laughs> A dead mother for the Brown Scouts. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: ah. Oh, my God. That's our new political party. Yeah. It's, Brown Scouts.
0: My goodness. This is getting so, <laughs> Sorry. like, Sorry. intricate, this this oh, waiting room. <clears throat>
1: it's so, there's so many layers. There's so many layers. So many people out there. It's we crazy. have to keep
0: I'm, adding to it each week. I'm so
1: glad that Lizzie's got it under control, though. <laughs> when she's back with her compass... We'll be
0: all over it. Okay. Now, searching aircraft found nothing and the report was actually canceled. Um, aircraft and ships resumed the search the following day and wreckage was again, sighted and bodies were recovered. It was six nautical miles northeast of Tuscar Rock with more wreckage scattered for a further six nautical miles northwest.
1: Okay, so they originally went to go and look for the plane and they couldn't find it. Yeah. So they cancelled that initial, we're going to go and look for it. Yeah. But then ships and stuff were looking and they were like, hey, it's in the ocean.
0: Here it is. see it. Yeah. Okay. Now, 13 bodies were recovered over the next few days. Another body was recovered later and the main wreckage was located on the seabed by trawling 1.72 nautical miles or just over three kilometers from Tuscar Rock at 39 Fathoms.
1: <clears throat> oh, 39 fathoms.
0: Now, the aircraft was a Vickers Viscount 803, which flew under tail number EIAOM and had been in service since 1957 with a total of 18,800 lifetime flight hours. So she'd put in a good...
1: Ooh, she's put in the work?
0: Yeah. Now, Aer okay. Lingus operated approximately 20 Viscount aircraft in the 50s and 60s, Of which two others were involved in serious incidents.
1: Oh, bad rap.
0: Well, not as bad as last week's (laughs) airplane.
1: Yes, which was 35% of all of them that were made crashed.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this one was like a Frankenstein version of it.
1: Yeah, that's it.
0: Now, the year before the Tascar Rock crash in June 67, an 803 Viscount on a training flight crashed due to a stall with a oh. loss of three crew lives. Okay. Also in 67 in September, an 808 Viscount was damaged beyond repair during a crash landing due to pilot error in fog, and that caused no serious casualties.
1: Oh, that's good then.
0: Yeah. Now, the crew of that plane, Flight 712, included Captain Bernard O'Bean, 35, who had joined Aer Lingus after three years in the Air Corps. His total flying time was just under 7,000 hours, um, 1,600 of them on Viscount. So he knew what he was okay. about.
1: Yes. Yeah. He's like, I've got this under control. I've flown this puppy before.
0: Yep. He was cool. endorsed for command on Viscount Aircraft and passed the medical in January in 68. And the first offer was Paul Heffernan, 22. So young. My goodness. That's young. Who had tra- Who had training with Air, War- Air Work Services Training at Perth and joined Aer Lingus in 1966. That year he received an Irish commercial pilot's license with Viscount endorsement and instrument rating. His total flying time was only one thousand one hundred hours, of which nine hundred was on viscounts. And the two stewardesses on board were Anne Kelly and Mary Coughlin.
1: How many um, hours does it take to be a like pro at something again? Ten thousand? Don't they say? I don't know. If you practice something like a certain number of times?
0: I've heard that, ten thousand, yeah, but I don't know I if it applies it's 10, to pilots. <laughs>
1: Okay, just checking. But that's a lot of hours. Like, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'd be happy with that. Not his first time.
1: Yeah, No, not his first rodeo.
0: Now, all 61 of the persons aboard the aircraft died. In total, only 14 bodies were ever recovered from the St. George's Channel following the crash. Now, what the hell happened?
1: Please tell me.
0: Now, investigation report was produced in 1970, and then a further review was undertaken between 1998 and 2000, and an independent study was commissioned in 2000. Now, why so many investigations? I was
1: about to say, and why so long? Here we go. Ooh, scandal. Now,
0: a scandalo.
1: A scandalo. <laughs> oh, I just keep thinking of the Brown Scouts. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay. okay. Now, of the several reports issued on the potential causes of the crash, several causes were proposed. These included possible bird strikes. Mm -hmm. Very common. Corrosion or similar structural failure. It is an old plane. Yeah. Or collision with a target, drone, or missile.
1: Oh. Okay.
0: Now the later causes were based on the proximity to Aberporth in West Wales, at the time the most advanced missile testing station in Britain.
1: Ooh.
0: In the years following the crash, several witnesses came forward in support of the missile theory. These include a crew member of the British ship, HMAS Penelope, who alleged that part of the recovered wreckage was removed to the UK.
1: So they're like, we have to hide this bit that has a giant missile hole in the side.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like the red target sign. <laughs> Hit here. <laughs>
1: yeah, this is like a missile hole, or the bits that were burned, or whatever. Mm. It's like, mm, let's take those parts back to the UK.
0: Now, however, though, in 2002, a review process conducted by the AAIU Air Incident Investigation Unit disclosed that Aer Lingus paperwork relating to a routine maintenance inspection carried out on the aircraft in December 67 Was found to be missing Why Mm. Why now moreover a large body of research was done by the investigators after the accident regarding the maintenance operation operating plan used for that plane and defects on the aircraft found during analysis of the maintenance records this research was not referred to in the 1970 original report. Now, a new board of investigation was set up by the Irish government and found that the crash was likely the consequence of a chain of events starting with a failure to the left tail plane caused by metal fatigue, corrosion, flutter, or a bird strike, with the most likely cause being a flutter-induced fatigue failure of the elevator trim tab operating mechanism. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. The, the,
1: back. Ups yeah. up the back yeah
0: like <laughs> yeah now in march 20 2007 retired raf squadron leader eric evers made an unsupported claim that the accident was caused by a mid-air collision between the air lingers Vickers viscount and a french built military aircraft which was training with the irish air corps Ooh. now evers maintained that the, he had evidence that a Fuga Magister trainer accidentally collided with the Aer Lingus aircraft as it was checking the status of the Viscount's undercarriage. <laughs> now, he claimed that had failed to lock in position correctly. So, right. supposedly, another plane is nearby checking the undercarriage of Aer Lingus. The
1: undercarriage? Yeah,
0: okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Now, according to Evers, the Magistars' two pilots survived by ejecting and parachuting to safety. However, Magistars do not have ejector seats. So, Evers, where are you coming up with this shit? Come on,
1: Evers, that puts a bit of a hole in your theory.
0: Now, Evers' claims, including that the French and Irish authorities colluded in a cover-up, have been strongly refuted by other commentators. For example, Mike Reynolds, an aviator and author of Tragedy at Tuscar Rock, disputed Evers' claim and supports the findings of the 2002 French-Australian investigation, which ruled out any impact with another aircraft or missile. Now, this study, on which Reynolds worked as an Irish assistant, concluded that the cause may have been as, as a result of structural failure of the aircraft, blah, 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 And an Irish Defence Forces spokesman similarly described the Evers' claims as spurious, noting that there was no evidence that an Irish Air Corps plane was in the vicinity at the time and that Magistars did not actually enter service with the Irish Air Corps until 1976, eight years later. Oh. Okay.
1: Evers,
0: you're wrong. Mm. Still a little bit of a mystery, right? Yeah. Now, a memorial park was opened in August 2006 in the center of Rosslare Harbour village. It was organized and paid for by the local Rosslare Harbour Kil- Kilrain Environment Group, who spent 90,000 pounds consisting of two amounts from each of the Wexford Organisation for Rural Development and the Wexford County Council.
1: Good on your Wexfords.
0: Yeah. Um so yeah, that's the first tale. It's it's okay. I know it's not big and exciting, but it's one of those no. mysteries that no one's ever fully been able to.
1: It's intriguing. Yeah. I like it.
0: And there's I'm a few, for it. few different potential, you know. Yes. That's what <laughs> but we want. I liked it because I was flying out of Cork and um, I actually did. Uh, I, I was meant to be flying from Cork to Amsterdam um, and then Amsterdam to somewhere or wherever. I can't remember. <clears throat> Uh, to Berlin. Mm-hmm. But okay. my flight got cancelled and I got put on the Cork to London flight.
1: Stop it.
0: So I was you on the I was on it. So it was quite unusual um and kind of cool, but I was on the the, so the cool. modern version of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. You went on like a prop plane. No. <laughs> that you had to run down the runway with your
0: friends. <laughs> pitter patter pitter patter <laughs> like pitter. <freaking> <laughs> Fred Flintstone. Like the it. Flintstones. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and I also picked it because you did such a great job last week of plane crashes and and survivors and stuff. So anyway. Yes. Thank
1: you.
0: Story number two. Dos. Now, the Peter Bergman case pertains to the mysterious death of an unidentified man in Sligo County. Uh, Island on or around the 16th of June 2009. Okay. So it ain't that long ago. No. Now, the man using the alias Peter Bergman had checked into the Sligo City Hotel on the 12th of June, where he stayed during the majority of his visit to Sligo. The man's movements were captured on CCTV. You can go online and see it, it's really quite eerie. Okay throughout the town. However, the details of his actions and intentions remain unknown. His interactions with other people were limited and little is known of his origins or the reason for his visit. Is this sounding familiar, Kate? It is. Yeah, this it is like their familiar. own version yeah. of the, um, oh my God, I've forgotten the name, Somerton Man. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or it's the Somerton. Isdal Woman. So,
1: also really good episodes that we have you should go and listen to.
0: Yeah, go back and check them out. Now, on the morning of the 16th of June, the body of the unidentified man was discovered at Ross's Point Beach, a popular recreation destination and fishing area near Sligo. Despite conducting a 5-month investigation into his death, the Gardaí have never been able to identify the man or develop any leads in the case. The mystery is often compared to the Tum and Shud case, or Somerton Man, in Australia, uh, in which an unidentified man was found dead on a beach shortly after the Second World War. It is no longer a mystery, folks. Go listen to the two-part episode if you want to know what happened. That's
1: right.
0: Now this uh, this this case remains obscure to the public and the official investigation is not extended extended to outside of ireland which is really bizarre because Summerton man was such an international case they got help from so many people
1: everywhere yeah
0: now the case received renewed attention in the 2010s it was the subject of a 2013 documentary the last days of peter bergman which was shown at the 2014 Sundance Film Festival and has developed a small following on social media websites such as Reddit, where readers have constructed theories of the case. So let's get into the details.
1: Please, I love a Reddit detective as well. Absolutely, I
0: mean, if we could, if we could solve the Summerton Man, you should definitely be able to solve this one.
1: Yeah, you can do it, I believe in you.
0: Now, let's go back in time and just follow his little trip, shall we? Okay. On Friday, the 12th of June, the man was first spotted at the Ulster bus depot in Derry between 2.30 and 4 o'clock, 4 o'clock local time.
1: You said
0: cock. Cock.
1: Woo-hoo.
0: <laughs> he boarded a bus headed to Sligo County, Sligo, carrying a black shoulder bag and a standard carry-on luggage. He arrived at 6.30 at Sligo bus station and took a taxi to the city hotel where he paid per night in cash. Okay. While checking in, he gave the false name of Peter Bergman and an address that was later reported as... Oh, I can't even read that. It was in Vienna, Austria. Okay. Now, he called himself Peter Bergman. He had a slender build. He stood 5 foot 10 inches he was tall, short, grey hair, blue eyes, tan complexion, and appeared to be in his late 50s or early 60s. According to staff and tenants at the city hotel, the man was of Germanic descent and spoke English with a thick German accent. He was neatly groomed, his face was shaven, and his hair was clean and combed. The man was well-dressed, wearing a black leather jacket, blue trousers, socks, a black leather belt, and a pair of black shoes, size 44, which is massage. Ooh. His clothes were from CNA, a popular fashion retail store in Europe, with most of its stores in Germany and Austria. And from the man's appearance it was assumed he was a professional worker. Okay He was I love that. a y-
1: professional worker. <laughs> yeah That's my job. What do you do? I'm a professional worker. <laughs> oh cool. In what industry? Work, Yeah, Working. I work in the work industry.
0: Kate and I are unprofessional workers. Just, we are, yeah.
1: oh my God, without a shadow of a doubt. My whole staff room could testify to that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, it was also noted he was a frequent smoker and several surveillance videos show him smoking outside often. Now, during his stay at the hotel, the man was seen on CCTV footage, leaving the building with a purple plastic bag full of items or personal effects. However, when he returned from his long walk, he was no longer carrying the bag. It is I know, it is presumed that he had disposed of his belongings throughout Sligo and then folded the bag and put it in his pocket. Authorities were unable to identify what he threw away in the public rubbish bins as the man used the blind spots of the surveillance cameras to his advantage. His movements were very meticulous and methodical, as if he knew where to hide his personal belongings that could have identified him. Mm. Now, on Saturday the 13th of June, the man was seen walking to Sligo Post Office at 10.50 in the morning and purchased eight 82-cent stamps and airmail stickers.
1: That sounds like 82-cent stamps doesn't sound like much. Yeah. Okay.
0: The following day, the man left the hotel between 11 and 11.30 and asked a taxi driver recommendations for a nice, quiet beach where he could swim. Oh. Now, the taxi driver stated that Ross's Point would be the best place and proceeded to drive the unidentified man to the beach. The man then returned with the same taxi and was dropped off at the bus station in Sligo. So, fast forward a bit. On Monday, the 15th of June, the man checked out of the hotel at about 1 o'clock in the afternoon and handed in his room key. He left with a black shoulder bag, a purple plastic bag, and a different black luggage bag. He did not have the same black carry-on luggage bag he he had when he first arrived in Sligo. He walked to the bus station via Key Street and Wine Street, then stopped at Keyside Shopping Center and awkwardly waited in the doorway for a number of minutes. Mm. It's reminding me of the Cecil Hotel, you know, that very yeah, that's strange. I, mm. I'm getting
1: like the combo of Summerton Man and Cecil Hotel, like this weird. As soon as you said CCTV, I was like Cecil Hotel. And then you're saying he wants to go to a beach, wants to lie down and die and be discovered as the Summerton Man. This mm. is crazy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now about quarter past one, he left the shopping center and walked along wine street in the direction of the bus station, still carrying all three bags. At about 20 to two, he ordered a cappuccino and a toasted ham and cheese sandwich at the bus station. Delicious. Classic while eating his food, he looked at pieces of paper that he kept in his pocket. After reading the pieces of paper, he tore the paper in half and threw it away in a nearby rubbish bin. He then mounted a bus that departed at... I know, mounted a bus. Hello. <laughs> Talk dirty to me, why don't Absolutely. you
1: Absolutely. Good for you.
0: Liz Trust is fanning herself in the waiting room. Oh,
1: Lizzie. <laughs> she is back. Hi, doll. No, pop the compass on the table. No, the tat. Lizzie, the tap. Oh, she's gone again. Yeah. Oh, bless. her. She looks right. a bit flustered. She's out of here. <laughs>
0: All right, so old man mounted a bus that departed at 20 past two for Ross's Point, the beach. It was reported that he was seen by 16 people while walking on the beach, casually greeting the passerby's. Okay. The following morning, Tuesday 16th of June, Arthur Kinsella and his son Brian, who were training for a triathlon, found the man's body lying on the beach at 6.45 in the morning. He was wearing purple striped speedo type swimming trunks with his underpants over the top and a navy t shirt tucked into them. Oh. Quite a a look.
1: look. (laughs) Yeah, what what an absolute vibe.
0: There is never a need to tuck anything other than your jibbly bits into a pair of speedos. And
1: balls, correct. (laughs) Tuck your penis, your balls, or. Whatever you're packing. Exactly. Maybe it's your vagina. Maybe it's a combo. Whatever you want. Tuck that into your speeds, but, but you don't need to pop a T-shirt in there. No. no.
0: Nah. Now, Arthur and Brian said the Lord's Prayer for the man and then called the Gardai.
1: <laughs> for the fashion choices? I know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay.
1: Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Please untuck your T-shirt from your speedos. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now, Dr. Valerie McGowan officially pronounced the man dead. And following the discovery of the man's body, a five-month investigation into his identity was conducted. Mm. Which, to be perfectly honest, if it's still not solved, why don't we crack that one back open?
1: Yeah, that's right. Now, I'll give it a. I'll give it a go.
0: Absolutely, Kate mean, and I could probably us. do a better job.
1: Give it to us. We will absolutely give it a go.
0: Now, according to the post-mortem report. We love these. The body of the man was found on Rose's Point Beach with most of his clothes left behind on the shore. Not his speedo or t-shirt, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> now, there was no wallet, money, or form of identification. Even though the man had been washed up on the beach, Sligo medical examiner Clive Kilgallen found no evidence of classical saltwater drowning.
1: Ooh, classical. Yeah. <laughs> That is a classical
0: saltwater drowning. <laughs> but there was also no signs of foul play that would give reason to believe the man's death was a homicide. I don't believe that. Anyway, yeah, I don't believe it, but the, anyway. the man's teeth were in good condition and showed okay. signs of frequent dental work in his life. He had bridging, root canals, crowns, and a full gold tooth on the upper right backside of his mouth and a small silver filling along the gum of a tooth on the left side of the lower jaw.
1: Wow. He's had loads of dental work.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you can say he had good teeth.
1: (laughs) Healthy teeth. Yeah. (laughs) They're they're all fake. Yeah. (laughs) They just removed the shitty ones and put in gold and silver. You're
0: looking for money. That's where he kept it. (laughs) Now, despite his well-groomed and dressed exterior, the man was in very poor health. The post-mortem showed that he had advanced stages of prostate cancer and bone tumours. His heart showed signs of previous ischemic heart disease. And notably for a man who had serious health conditions, the toxicology report stated that he had no medication of any sort in his system. Right. The medical examiner noted that due to his heart attacks and health status, the man would have been in significant pain and would have required prescription pain medicine, medicine or at least over-the-counter pain relievers. After a five-month investigation, the body was buried in Sligo. The funeral was attended by four Gardai. Okay. If you don't know what Gardai is, it's like local uh, police. Police. police? Yeah. Okay. Some sources say that during the police investigation following his death, it was discovered that the address he gave at the hotel belonged to a vacant lot. However, others have pointed out that a street with a reported spelling of, a different spelling, does not mm-hmm. exist in Austria or Germany. Additionally, Vienna postcodes begin with the number 1 rather than 4, and the postcode was 4472. It's totally unassigned, so it doesn't even make sense. It
1: doesn't make sense. Okay. Okay.
0: Now it is unclear how police would have been able to establish that the fake address was tied to a vacant lot, or whether they simply determined that it did not exist. What is certain is that the man wanted to remain unknown and he preemptively planned his moves so that he could not be identified. Because my original thought was, Someone who's sick and unwell or maybe someone that has Alzheimer's or elderly and wants to be left alone. Not that he's elderly in 50s and 60s. But, you know, but there was premeditated sort of actions he took to hide himself.
1: Yeah, okay. Mm. So he's not, yeah, no, I hear that. Yeah, he's not wanting to be...
0: Found. found. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> had to think on that one.
1: Couldn't think of the word. Mm.
0: Now, in 2015, the French newspaper Le Monde reported that they had con- contacted Austrian police about the case and the Austrian police commented that the Gardai had never contacted them. Now Lamont also reported that there is no Interpol notice for the unidentified man because the body did not fall into either of the two Interpol categories for missing person and a wanted person. <coughs>
1: oh, so it doesn't matter if it's a dead person? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that doesn't—it's not in the category. I'm sorry. I hear what you're saying. Were they missing before they died? No. Oh, can't help you.
0: Yep. Interesting. And it is the responsibility of the man's country of origin to report him as missing. But because there's uh, no identif- identification, and because yeah. the address he left, it's like it false. Yeah, nobody's wanting to.
1: Doesn't make sense. Okay.
0: Now, as of June this year, the man is still identified. There are no relatives, friends, or witnesses have come forward, despite public appeals in Austrian and German newspapers. While Sligo police retained the man's DNA, a spokesperson said the DNA analysis could only narrow down the area the man might have been from, but not identify him. Oh. You know, as we know from Somerton Man, they can do such wonderful things with bones and teeth and mapping where someone may have come from by like, yeah. isotopes in their blood and blah, 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 blah. But it's really quite fascinating because it's such a relatively recent story, Kate.
1: Yeah, that's right. We're not talking about something in the 50s.
0: Yeah, you, yeah. C- you can see some very, very clear and graphic photos of his face, his body, or everything. So someone knows this man. And I reckon yeah. if they put it on Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix, they might actually get something.
1: They might find something.
0: Mm. But I am truly obsessed with these stories. Isdal Woman... Subberton Man and now Peter Bergman. It's just, oh, there's, and some of the similarities too. It's just strange.
1: We're going to have to find a way for, for us to go that way. We'll just, we'll plan that. True. And then I'll never tell. And you and, never tell. Yep. And none of our listeners ever tell because you've just heard that now.
0: <laughs> yeah. <and laughs> Don't p- say anything. Podcast in the future will um, will yeah. be a story that's featured.
1: Yes. How cool. All
0: right. So that's the end of story number two. Wee. Stay tuned, folks, because it is such a recent story. If there's ever any updates, I will uh, gladly we will do it. revisit Absolutely. it. Absolutely, There's so much more to the story, but I'm just like, you know.
1: No, that's cool. Yeah. It's nice All right. Run down.
0: Lucky last. Save last, the best for least. last almost. Absolutely. Story number three. Ireland's vanishing triangle. Oh. I hope everyone's picking up on the threads that I'm pulling through here. Flights from Kate's previous story, Summer to Man with the last one, and then we did a special recently, didn't we, Kate, on a Bridgewater Triangle, so.
1: Oh my God, that's so weird. I can't believe it. Yeah. Also, I've picked up on a theme. They're in Ireland. They're in
0: Ireland. Ireland. Grand. (laughs) How grand.
1: How grand.
0: Now, Ireland's vanishing triangle is a term commonly used (laughs) <laughs> I'm uh, sorry, but I I just uh, went to such a dirty place there. I'm like, what would you oh call no, like...
1: The triangle. Yeah.
0: Fanny. You could totally... Fanny. Yeah, fanny. It's anyway. Fanny. Okay. Is a term commonly used in the Irish media when referring to a number of high profile disappearances of Irish women in the mid to late 1990s? Ooh. Now, the Vanishing Triangle disappearances all appeared to share common characteristics. The women's ages range from late teens to late thirties. They disappeared inexplicably and suddenly, and no substantial clues or evidence of their fate has ever been found despite large-scale searches and campaigns by the Irish police force to find them. The Triangle is in the eastern part of the island, Ireland, roughly the boundaries of Leinster, which it's just a region. If you look at a map Mm -hmm. due to similarities in the cases, a popular hypothesis is that they may be the result of a serial killer or killers being active in the area during this period. The cases of these missing women feature in the Irish media periodically and the disappearances have been the subject in a number of unsolved crime documentaries all right let's get to it the missing women the following women are usually included in the unofficial listing annie mccarrick 26 of long island new york she went missing on the 26th of march 1993 she was living in sandy mount dublin uh, and the last confirmed sighting of her was at the post office in Ennis uh, Wicklow, Wicklow. However, there was an unconfirmed sighting of her outside Johnny Fox's pub in Glencullen, in Dublin. This sighting was by a doorman of the pub who said she was with an unknown man.
1: Ooh, they, suspicious.
0: They left the lounge of Johnny Fox's pub and entered the cabaret room where the unknown man paid for both of them to enter. McCarrick had invited her friend, Hilary Brady, and his girlfriend, Rita Fortune, great name,
1: That sounds like a pretend name. Yep.
0: They'd invited them to dinner at her apartment the next day. And when McCarrick was not there, they contacted her parents in New York and she was reported missing. McCarrick's parents, John and Nancy, arrived in Ireland shortly after their daughter was reported missing, but left after a six month long unsuccessful search. Number two, Eva Breddon, she was 39, of Rathgar, Dublin, went missing on the 25th of July, 1993. Number three, Imelda Keenan, 22, of Mount Mellick. She went missing on the 3rd of January, 94. She was living in Waterford City, Waterford. I was just near there, uh, and she had initially gone to stay with one of her brothers in Cobb, in Cork, obviously where I was staying, but left it after a short while when she went to stay with two brothers in Waterford City. She was living with her boyfriend, Mark Wall. They both lived in an apartment in the town on William Street and Keenan attended the Central Technical Institute in Waterford where she undertook a computer course for a short period. Now Keenan told Wall that she was going to the post office. Keenan left the apartment at 1.30 and walked down William Street onto Lombard Street. It's so weird hearing these streets because I've been there. Went there the, yeah. the last confirmed sighting of Keenan at this time uh, when she was seen crossing the road by a local doctor's secretary who knew her well. The secretary and a friend observed Keenan crossing the road at the corner of the Tower Hotel on Lombard Street, and she was never seen again. Number four, Josephine Jojo Dullard. That was her nickname, Jojo. She was 21 of Callan Kilkenny. She went missing on 9th of November, 95. She was living in Harold's Cross, Dublin. She had recently dropped out of a beauty therapy course after finding it very difficult to juggle work and college. Mm,
1: She's a beauty school dropout. Mm.
0: Beauty school dropout. (laughs) Now, on the day she disappeared, she was planning on moving home to Cullen. She had missed her bus home and had to take a bus to uh, Nas Kildare instead. She disappeared in the Moon area of Kildare. She was hitchhiking home Silly Billy. From Dublin to Kilkenny. She had been driven from Dublin area to Kilcullen and then from Kilcullen to Moon. She was last seen using a payphone and through telephone records. Police found out the call was made at 11.37pm to Dullard's friend, Mary Cullinan. She ended the call as she was about to enter another car. There was also an unconfirmed sighting of her walking along the road in Kildare, and the driver of the car has never been identified.
1: Mm.
0: See, that's just spooky, right? If you had picked someone up as a hitchhiker mm-hmm. and all this stuff was going on, you would re- you would let them know. You'd be like, hey, anyone in the area pick someone up? It's strange yeah, that, this, yeah. Yeah, that this person they didn't just, come forward.
1: No, that's right.
0: Number five, Fiona Pender. She was twenty-five of Talamore, uh, Offaly. She went missing on the twenty-third of August, ninety-six. She was last seen leaving her apartment by her boyfriend, John Thompson. Pender was seven months pregnant at the time of her disappearance. In two thousand and eight, a small wooden cross bearing the name Fiona Pender was found on the Sleeve Bloom Way at the border between Lay Le- Le- and Offaly, which led to the belief that Fiona was buried in the Sleevebloom Bloom Mountains. Oh
1: my God, imagine that. Imagine oh. finding that cross. Yeah. Ble-
0: All those years later.
1: Yeah.
0: Number six is Kira Breen, 17, of Dundalk, Luth. She went missing on the 13th of Feb, ninety-seven. She was last seen by her mother, Bernadette, who said at the time they had both gone to bed just after midnight. After 2 a.m., Bernadette got up to go to the toilet and discovered she was missing. She had left a window on the latch, and it is believed she did so, so that she could climb back in. Mm. In 2014, two credible witnesses came forward with sightings of Kiara, Kira from the night she disappeared in 2015. and A man in his 50s was arrested, but at least without charge. Number 6. Fiona Sinnott, 19 of Rosslare, Wexford. She went missing on the 8th of Feb, 98. And last but not least, number eight, Deirdre Jacob, 18th of Newbridge, Kildare. She went missing on the 28th of July, 98. She was living in Twickenham, London, and studying at St Mary's University, but was home for the summer. She disappeared just yards from her parents' home as she walked home. This particular case is often said to be the most puzzling, as Jacob was almost home. So, passing motorists witnessed Jacob approaching within yards of her parents' driveway as well as numerous other sightings, but she never made it to her house. No trace has ever been found and she was never seen again. Oh my God. Now, the last disappearance to be included on the list was Sinnet in 98. Since then, no case of disappearances has been of a nature so unexplained and random as to be added to the list. A convicted rapist, Larry Murphy, had been suspected of being responsible for the disappearances of Annie McCarrick, Jojo Dullard and Deirdre Jacob, all of whom vanished close to the area where Murphy lived at the time. Now, Eva Brennan and Fiona Pender have also been linked to the murders of Antoinette Smith and Patricia Doherty. Smith was a 27-year-old separated mother of two. She went missing in July 1987. Her body was discovered the following June in a shallow grave at Killarkey in the foothills of the Dublin Mountains. And Doherty, age 34, disappeared while shopping on the 23rd of December in 91. Now, in June 92, her remains were found by men digging turf in the same area of the Dublin Mountains. Although it is possible that a serial killer may have been involved in some of the disappearances, the suspect in Fiona Sinnott's case is a man who was well known to her. Ooh. Now, the disappearance came to an end. The disappearances came to an end by the end of two thousand. But in late October twenty twelve, there was renewed interest in the unofficial list of missing women when news broke of a thirty year old pregnant lay woman named uh, Effie Phelan, who inexplici- inexplicably I ever say that ever, with that word inexplicably. <laughs> yeah. Inexplicably disappeared as she walked home from the house for, of a friend. Her remains were later found and a 24-year-old man was known to her has been charged with the murder. He's too young to have been connected to with the other cases which oh. occurred when he would have been aged 5 to 10.
1: Oh okay. Sure.
0: Possible explanations. Now, it is widely suspected that at least some, if not all, of the disappearances were due to a possible serial killer acting either alone or with an accomplice in the Leinster area in the 90s. Now, Irish police have often claimed old mate Larry Murphy, who was a native of Bolton Glass, a village well within the triangle, is the main suspect in at least some of the cases. There's the triangle. Now, Murphy was convicted and in prison in 2001 for the rape and attempted murder of a Carlisle businesswoman in 2000. He was attempting to strangle her in a wooded area of the Wicklow Mountains at night when he was surprised by two hunters who happened upon the scene and intervened, saving the woman. Now, Larry Murphy has maintained that he is unconnected with the disappearances and has been questioned on the cases on numerous occasions by the police. To date, there is still no solid evidence connecting Murphy with the disappearances. It is widely known, though, that Murphy, a carpenter, had completed some work in a shop owned by Mrs. Jacob's grandmother. And that, folks, is the very end of my three mini Ireland mysteries.
1: Little mini Irish. To be sure, to be sure. To be
0: sure. (laughs) <laughs>
1: thank you Dom That was so fun It was so cool To do a little bit Of a different format It was cool Yeah I've
0: never done it That way before It's very it's, you got to try And just get in the highlights Because there's you so do. much to do And say yes. About all of these it, But
1: It's very hard Sometimes to leave out Bits and pieces But you did a really good job Thank well you Well done
0: Thank you um, What are we What are we going to look forward Forward to um, Next week hey? well,
1: That's a good question um I think I might tell a story and <laughs> I think it will maybe be about something that's a bit scary and that's about all. Sounds for good.
0: Now. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I'm
1: looking forward to it. But I cannot wait. Um for then. And I love you and I love our listeners and thank you for telling us your
0: stories. No worries. All right, folks. Don't forget to check out our socials, check out our Patreon. Yeah
1: lizzie will be sad if you don't sign up she sits out there and stares at the computer that's her job that's what we pay her for <laughs>
0: knock 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 she's going on another mission folks she's she
1: will she'll go on an adventure because we gave her a compass for her birthday and she's been off chops ever since
0: oh, she's so cute though she's she's, she's just ever since cute. she's left office she's just oh she's just looking for a friend
1: she really is and she's a good tea lady i'll be honest <laughs> she's really good tea lady out there in our foyer <laughs> So, welcome all our guests. Can I say, actually, who I want to welcome to our show today that you said at some point during this podcast, I would like to welcome the word moreover. You used moreover at one point, and straight away I was like, that's that's a buzzword. It's your
0: favorite word. It's It's the the word of the day. favorite
1: word of this episode, moreover. And also... Air lingus, it just made me think of Cunilingus. I know
0: all I think every time. Yeah.
1: That's all I thought. And I managed to hold it together, but I can't anymore. So I'm sorry.
0: We said all the dirty words this day this, <laughs> this episode. <laughs> Yay.
1: Have a good time and a good life, everyone. We love you. Bye. Boy. Goodbye. Bye, love you. <laughs> That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning into shit and
0: bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. Plus, you can find Extra Little Nuggets on our socials.
1: Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in.
0: And remember to wipe, flush, and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.